0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Former U.S. Capitol Police Chief Steve Sun, the former Sar- Sergeant at Arms for the Senate, Michael Stenger, the former House Sergeant at Arms, Paul Irving, and the Metropolitan Police Department Acting Chief, Robert Conti. They are all appearing before the Senate Homeland Committee as we speak. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Find the podcast on Rumble. R U M B L E, rumble.com. Just search for Tony Katz. This is all about the Capitol riot on January 6th. The questions are being asked. Josh Hawley just finished up his questions. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to hear what they're getting into. And certainly, I'm one of the people who wants to know, were they offered assistance, as we know they were, and why'd they turn it down? If the sergeant-at-arms of the House of the Senate aren't prepared for a moment like this, then what exactly do they do? Let's uh, take it to the air hearing. Who do we have right now, Producer Harry? Uh Alex Padilla. Okay. So Alex Padilla is asking the questions. Let's see if we can get some answers right here.
1: Yeah, that is, that is absolutely correct. We proceeded with the posture of seeing it could have uh, instances of violence. We knew it was going to be focused on uh, the Capitol. We knew that there was going to be members of Proud Boy, Antifa uh, participating. And like I'd said before, not Capitol Police, not Metropolitan Police, not any of our federal agencies had any information we were going to be facing an armed insurrection of thousands of people.
2: Now, if we take uh, our experience with uh, terrorism globally... Uh, and look at case studies, uh, both incidents that were have been prevented and those that were successfully executed against the United States. Uh, is it plausible? And I know hindsight's twenty twenty. Is it plausible that the November fourteenth, December twelfth incidents may well have been trial runs? The very extremist organizations you've referenced, uh, involved with the organizing and participation of November 14th, December 12th, to gain counterintelligence on how you and your partner agencies would be planning and preparing for such incidents.
1: Well, as you rightly point out, when you look at some of the uh, uh, terrorist attacks that have occurred, there has been uh, pre-planning, there has been pre-surveillance, uh, pre-collection of intelligence on the security features. Uh, I don't know if the uh, November and December were two instances of that, but I would suspect with the fact that we're finding this was a coordinated attack, I wouldn't doubt there was... Um, so we don't
2: know they were, we don't know they weren't. That's my correct. point. Correct. Uh, and I know the intelligence folks will be here at a subsequent hearing, but we're, we're all in this together. In your letter, and your uh, testimony earlier today, you uh, bluntly said the intelligence community missed this. That is correct, sir. That's a way I feel. Now, who was commander-in-chief on December 6th? When
1: you say commander in chief,
2: who is the president of the United States? Uh, Donald Trump, sir. Overseeing the, the intelligence community that missed this
1: Repeat your answer. For the, the entire 18 agencies that represent the intelligence community? Yes, yes sir. Then you would be commander in chief. And who was that again? Uh, president Donald Trump. Okay. Uh, Holy crap.
0: No, no, leave it up a little bit, Producer all right Alex Padilla, by the way, in case you didn't know, is the senator who replaced Kamala Harris. Right, He was appointed by Gavin Newsom, taking her place as she became vice president. So Donald Trump is guilty of the... In real time, lack of sharing of intelligence, the lack of acting on, on on the intelligence. But we know that it was, and that was Steve Sund answering the questions there. We know that President Trump did offer assistance and Nancy Pelosi turned it down. This is a really easy thing to debunk. This is garbage. This is the big fear about a, a 9-11 style commission. Uh, Right. Remember, they had the 9-11 Commission. They want to do one here. And I'm like, hey, go ahead. But it actually has to do things. You actually have to discover things. If you go about this in, in a way where you just want it to be political, well, then it's worthless. Don't you want to know why nobody pushed back? Why the Capitol Police didn't stop a riot? How much happened before that wasn't done? It doesn't matter. The party,
2: people,
0: people could be guilty of not doing their job properly. Do your job properly. Shouldn't that matter more? The answer they constantly consistently give you is no. They are desperate to tell you, no, that's not what matters. What matters is how can we make this political? And that's why, uh, Senator Padilla, people hate you. They don't even know your name. They don't even realize you've replaced Kamala Harris already. They're like, you're disgusting. Let's see what else. I know, I know. We shouldn't, right? We should We just move on, right? sorry, right, we should just move on. We shouldn't hear more of what this lunatic is saying, should we? Eh, I think I've gotten the gist of it. Okay. Very, very good. Let's talk about old white guys. <laughs> what? There is a series of tweets about Neera Tandon. Now, Nira Tandon is getting huge, huge opposition. Opposition to being in Biden's cabinet. And she's getting opposition because she's nasty. I mean, the things she has said about Republicans and Democrats alike. She's the nominee to lead Office of Management and Budget. Also getting pushback is Javier Becerra to be secretary of Department of Health and Human Services, the attorney general of California, former congressman, a radical leftist, without question. So Tandem's confirmation's got a real issue. You've got Democrats who are opposed, massive amount of Republicans opposed. I don't think she can get the votes to get confirmed. She used to be the president of the Center for American Progress. I mean, she put out some hostile stuff against members uh, of Congress. Thousands of negative public statements. Referring to Susan Collins as the worst. Calling Senator Tom Cotton a fraud. Saying vampires have more heart than Ted Cruz. Referring to Mitch McConnell as Moscow Mitch. And Voldemort. Yeah, so people are going to have a problem with that. And she wants you to know that I recognize the concern I deeply regret and apologize for my language, some of my past language. I recognize that this role is a bipartisan role, and I know that I have to earn the trust of senators across the board. I will work very aggressively to meet that concern. Nah, don't even bother. Don't even bother. Well, all of a sudden, there's a a group of tweets out there and i believe they're quoting bill crystal now bill crystal is a guy who wants to still make claim that he's an important and valued conservative and that's not it weekly standard guy and now there is no longer a weekly standard right i mean just just saying what is there's there's no longer a weekly standard i think that's where this comes from i don't think there was any other crystal that that they were. They could possibly be talking about. Well, one of the things that gets noted here is that you've got Maggie Haberman and Jennifer Rubin and others quoting a, a, a segment, a piece, that says, I feel like there's a little bit of sexism going on here it just seems like these tweets sound harsh to these old guys because they're coming from a woman. So you've got a a a person being nominated for the cabinet who has said nasty things about Republicans and Democrats working in a position that's supposed to be bipartisan, and if you're opposed, well, it's just sexism. That's super woke. And look at the people coming to rally around this. A reporter from the New York Times, uh, uh, a reporter from the Washington Post, rallying around this idea. That's a very, very large problem. Massive, massive problem. Because it's stating, just like when we talk about these ideas of whiteness, someone can't have a disagreement based on the facts. Everything Everything has to be, well, it's just racism. Well, it's just sexism. Well, it's just... Can't something be true regardless of whether they're a man or a woman? Let's make sure we're all on the same page here. I have met very, very good women in my life, and I have met garbage women in my life. I have met very, very good men in my life, and I have met garbage men in my life, and I'm not talking about men who collect garbage. I have met good Jews, and I have met lousy, garbage, awful Jews. And I have met good Christians, and I have met miserable Christians. Of course I have. You know why? Because there are two sides to the bell curve. Everybody who's of a certain skin color is good, and everybody else who's of a certain skin color is bad? No. Everybody with an XX is good, and everybody with an XY is bad? What do we what are we doing? Do it vice versa? It's all the same conversation. We shouldn't notice that Nira Tandon is just terrible. She's a bad person. She's a bigoted person. She's politically biased as all ghetto. No, you're not going to have any faith in her. I said bigoted, but I meant biased. Sorry about that. Nah, she could be bigoted for all I know. I'm just saying I don't have that one in front of me. Bias, I have. Is she the right pick for OMB? No. And if you're saying, "Well, these these senators should, you know, just suck it up," I, I, I guess they see it differently because they're senator. That's who they are. They ran, they won. There you is. But to say they're just opposed because they're just old white guys who can't handle a woman—it's this is the stuff we have to fight. This is the wokeism that we have to push back on and to prove this we're going to Canada that's coming up I'm Tony Katz so there's some very interesting second amendment movement going on the movement across states Montana I think just did it Indiana is trying to do it why should you need a license to carry a firearm Tony Katz Tony Katz today it's great to be with you Facebook Tony Katz Radio find everything at TonyKatz.com we'll dig into that coming up in a little bit But let's take ourselves to Canada. It's a funny story. I had some cabinet work done. New doors put on the cabinets. Right? We didn't need all new cabinets. Just wanted to really uh, change uh, the the look. Paint wasn't going to cover it. We did did a thing. Very cool. Very, very happy with how it came out. And uh, one of the installers was here finishing up uh, on, on something and uh, was telling a story about Canada and rural Canada and how in rural Canada, I guess he's got a cabin up there or a family up there, whatever the case may be. And, you know, sometimes you'll have a doctor's appointment, you'll go to the doctor, doctor's not there, but they just forgot, they're not coming in today. Restaurants don't open when they're supposed to, and people just take it very, very easy. They just, you know, they get to things when they when they get to things. And I heard that story in in passing, and I said, "Huh. Well, that's a thing." Here, let me let me describe to you what that sounds like to
3: me. Most white people and Europeans are about agendas and to do lists and tasks and oh, we have thirty minutes for this and oh, time to move on. That is a woman from Washington
0: State. She is from the Office of Equity in Washington State, and her name is Karen Johnson. So Karen Johnson is part of this equity task force in Washington State, and she starts off with this conversation about time and rigidness,
3: Most white people and Europeans are about agendas and to-do lists and tasks and, oh, we have 30 minutes for this and, oh, time to move on, where many people of color, maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't. In South Africa, if we were meeting right here, 235, if uh, Craig Bill walked in right now in South Africa, what would happen is they would stop, welcome him, how was your weekend, you would any plans for Thanksgiving, and would bring him up to speed on what he missed. If we were in South South Africa, if somebody, if Craig Bill walked in right now here in Tumwater, Washington, we say hello, uh, and maybe somebody, well, our chairs are gracious, so you all would let them know here we are, but it's basically, this is where we are, so just get with it.
0: Now a very interesting thing. You keep hearing the South Africa conversation coming up. You're also going to hear a lot about the South African Constitution in the days, weeks, and months ahead. uh, You want no part of the South African Constitution? I will actually get into sharing it next week. And why this is coming up because the South African uh, Constitution comes after a truth and reconciliation commission. So basically now we're going to get into the place where America is as guilty as an apartheid state. Wait for it, it's coming. But I brought up the Canadians. This idea of showing up when you want has come up before. As a matter of fact, it was the Smithsonian that put this out. Uh, Concepts of time and timeliness and being on time, those are all constructs of whiteness. As a matter of fact, in that same meeting... Some sentiments got echoed by uh, this gentleman
2: about through this work, the Office of Equity should model practices and
0: decolonizing boards and other government structures by identifying and dismantling culture bound rules and decorum, time requirement, education and what we call expertise. Well, if you want to get rid of expertise, uh, that that's fine. I happen to like expertise. It's just that I have the right to not listen to the experts. Uh, it's funny. In some cases, you have to listen to the experts like them who want to tell you about wokeness and race and all these things. But now you don't have to listen to the experts when it works in their favor. But these cultural things, remember, that's what he just brought up. He brought up cultural things. Johnson was talking about just a minute ago about through this work, the office of equity should model practices and decolonizing boards and other government structures by identifying and dismantling culture bound rules and decorum time requirement, culture bound rules and decorum and time requirements. Forget the whole thing about colonization. You know where they're going with that nonsense. If you're admitting that it's culture bound, Culture-bound rules and time requirements. So you're making the argument that South Africa has the same system as a conversation I just heard about rural Canada. What do they have in common? What do they not have in common? Wouldn't that be the logical conversation? Look at these two things. This thing from Washington State actually took place in, in 2020. I think it took place around Thanksgiving. This conversation about Canada happened two and a half hours ago. What's the connectivity? Not a racial conversation, but rather a cultural one. If you want a society where you don't care if people show up on time, that's you. You know what has to happen every day at the time this show starts? We have to be ready to go. We have to do it. We actually live and die by the clock on this show. That's how it works. You don't get your way. No one cares about your culture or whatever. The sponsors need to be taken care of. The station needs to be able to get in the breaks. All these things have to happen. But if you're gonna say this is the South African model and someone's saying look at the Royal Canadian model, what do those two places have in common? And oh, it ain't race, now is it? You understand that none of these conversations are about race. It's utilizing it to attack and destroy to create the political desire. I'm Tony Katz. So the states are not as crazy as the federal government. And more and more states are moving towards allowing people to constitutional carry. Now, maybe it should be better said as Lawful Carry, Tony Katz, Tony Katz Today, Facebook Tony Katz Radio, Twitter and Parlor Tony Katz. That's where you can find me, uh, the podcast at Rumble, R-U-M-B-L-E or TonyKatz.com. I'm a believer in this, and I do not believe that we are putting ourselves in danger by allowing people to simply utilize the Constitution as it is written, Guy Relford is known as the Gun Guy, Second Amendment uh, lawyer in Indianapolis, radio host of uh, the Gun Guy uh, Show heard on ninety three point one FM WIBC. Of course, he fills in uh, for me from time to time, and he is also uh, mm-hmm. the mind behind the Two A Project, the Number Two Letter A Project uh, dot com in Indiana. This bill is making its way, House Bill 1369, uh, repealing the law that would require a person to obtain a license to carry a a handgun in Indiana. So two things, Guy. How is the Indiana law, as it's written now, different than some other places where a permit is required? And what is the the purpose of the repeal? Well,
4: the way the law works now, Tony, is that uh, a person, once they're 18, has to go apply for a license, a license to carry handgun, as we call it. Um, There's a background check. uh, There's a lifetime fee actually available, uh, a lifetime license available, I should say. Um, But it's fairly expensive. It's $125 for the lifetime. Uh, There's a background check. And the process really is, as I've described it, it's a a law-abiding citizen who has to go to the government and seek permission to exercise a constitutionally protected freedom. And the idea behind lawful carry or constitutional carry um, is that uh, the the Second Amendment shouldn't be treated as a second-class right. Uh, No other constitutional freedom do we have to go to the government and seek permission in order to exercise a constitutionally protected freedom. So the idea is that if if you're a law-abiding citizen, you've not done anything, you know, you have nothing on your criminal history that precludes you from possessing a gun, then you can carry a handgun uh, lawfully without having to go seek government permission. And that's the idea uh, behind the bill that just passed the Indiana House yesterday, uh, 65 to 31.
0: So when people hear this, they often think, oh, so you're saying that people can get a gun without a background check. The difference between the state and the federal requirements, you still get the background check.
4: Yeah, this has absolutely nothing to do with buying a gun, acquiring a gun. Um, You go into a gun store, buy a gun, um, you'll still have to go through the background check, just like you do now, uh, through the National Instant Criminal Background Check system run by the FBI out of West Virginia. So this has nothing to do with where you can lawfully carry a gun, if it's a prohibited place. Uh, As far as gun possession before, it will be after. It has nothing to do really with who can carry a gun in the sense that if you're a criminal, you're a felon, you're a domestic batterer, you can't possess a gun, therefore you can't carry a gun. Um, So it it really doesn't change anything in terms of where or who. It's just that law-abiding citizen who would have passed the background check to get a license to carry – um, if, if, if he's a person who would have gotten the license anyway, uh, the law would say if this passes in the Senate and signed by the governor, the law would say you don't have to go seek government permission first. You don't need that license if you can lawfully possess the gun.
0: Talking to Guy Relford, uh, you can catch uh, him at The 2A Project, T-H-E, number two, letter A, the2aproject.com. A Does not roll trippingly off the tongue on radio, but <laughs> certainly easy enough uh, to find uh, for, for yourself there. Uh, People oppose uh, this, and and it did get some opposition in in the state of Indiana. And uh, there were even uh, law enforcement who uh, disagree with this. The argument being that uh, a permit system uh, is makes it easier for them to do their job if there's an issue that somebody has and it is gun related. Do they did they have no argument?
4: Well, the 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 gap we're trying to fill, and there's a provision in the bill that does this, is that the the information exists already in criminal history databases as to who can lawfully possess a gun and who can't. And so the bill actually has a provision that's asking law enforcement Uh, to devise a process to get that information that's already in criminal history databases on who can and cannot possess a gun uh, to the officer on the street. Because if you have that information as readily as you can determine whether someone has a license to carry or not, the argument you just laid out, and that is the argument that we've heard, although I will tell you we had more law enforcement Officers come to the hearing in the Public Policy Committee in the House. We had more officers come support the bill than we did oppose it. But even those officers that, that did oppose it, they laid out the argument exactly as you said it, Tony. But we can fill that gap and completely assuage that concern if the officer has the information they need to determine who cannot lawfully possess a gun. If you have that information, and it's only those people who may not lawfully possess a gun that can't carry a handgun, then you can separate that bad guy from a gun exactly the same way as if you caught him with a handgun and no license. So we're, we're fixing that issue, and that, and that is exactly why so much of the opposition to constitutional carry or lawful carry has dissipated among law enforcement and why we had more officers show up to the hearing and support it.
0: So now let's talk about what's happening in other states because we're seeing this move and it's so interesting here's joe biden Here's Kamala Harris. We've already heard from Merrick Garland, who is in his second day of hearings as the possible next attorney general, say that uh, the the president favors gun control, and so this Justice Department, under me, would work with him to help institute those policies where lawful. Now, that's a, that's a frightening, frightening concept, as if, you know, you, they're not going to follow the law, but rather they would look to find ways to implement some of these kinds of concepts. We've seen what uh, Sheila Jackson Lee has put. ...pushed forth with the idea of not only gun registry, but an ammunition registry, and not just a registry, a public registry. And then, you know, you can't have this, you can't have that, and we would know who you are, etc. Et Yet, this is going through, and this has a possibility of being signed into law. In Indiana, we saw Montana has already done these things. This this divide between where the states are and in the conversation of Second Amendment rights and the federal government under Joe Biden how do are these things going to come to a head? And are we going to finally see your, you do second amendment cases as a lawyer all the time. Are we going to see the Supreme court finally start engaging in some of these lawsuits that make it to them?
4: Yeah, I, I really think we will to answer that last question first, Tony, um, with the court as currently constituted, it is very, very strong on second amendment issues, especially with the, the three, uh, Trump nominees. And so I I think um, really some of the other justices that might have been inclined to take Second Amendment cases in the past um, were not entirely comfortable um, with uh, the majority they had, uh, not completely trusting Chief Justice Roberts, frankly. Um, now that uh, Amy Coney Barrett has joined the, the, the court, I think you're going to see uh, more Second Amendment cases taken. If there's a so-called assault weapon ban pushed uh, either through executive order uh, or through Congress, especially if, if they set aside the 60-vote rule in the Senate, uh, to avoid filibuster and some of these things pass Sheila Jackson lease two bills. This is H.R. 125 and 127. Uh, they are just a complete nightmare for law abiding gun owners, uh, a complete registry um, background checks for ammunition, uh, repealing the protection of lawful commerce and arms act. I mean, it goes on and on and on assault weapon ban. Um, I, th- I do think you'll, you'll see the Supreme court take up cases. And, you know, if, if, as threatened, Joe Biden issues executive orders. And he's being pushed to do this. The, a lot of the, the so-called um, gun control groups, gun safety groups, they like to call themselves, uh, they had a conference call with senior Biden officials just a few days ago. they were upset because here Biden came into office and you know and signed an entire pile of executive orders he had stacked up on his desk, I think his very first day in the Oval Office and uh, a whole bunch of these gun control groups got a hold of the Biden administration and say, "Hey, hold on, you campaigned on gun control." Uh, we supported you because of gun control. Where's our executive orders? Uh, you've been signing all these other ones. And so I think they're really looking for that opportunity. And the thing is, there's no political process behind an executive order, obviously. So if those orders simply get signed on Biden's desk, the only alternative you have to fight those is litigation. That um, You have to fight those in the courts. And I'm fully prepared to do that. I fully expect to do that. And I think some of those cases will wind up um, in front of SCOTUS.
0: Guy Relford the gun guy uh, go to the 2a project number two letter a the 2a project.com to learn more about the things he is doing I appreciate uh, the update we've got more I'm Tony Katz now sometimes I get into themes and, and it's 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 subconscious right i i I don't know that i'm doing it i I don't plan to do it it's just i find a story and then i find another story that connects i'm like huh Huh. what do you know about that Uh, i love connecting the dots to me is is an extremely important thing to do tony katz tony katz today it's great to be with you and 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 in connecting the dots it's about saying wait this is connected to this and and how is it connected And then you very often realize in in that connection that it has nothing to do with what they say it is. It actually has to do with something else, like it's not about race, it's about ideology, as we know about wokeism. But there's also a fair amount of control in that conversation. And there's also a tremendous amount of virtue signaling in that conversation. Here's an example of The Virtue
4: Signaling.
0: the 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 world famous Muppet Show, a show that made me laugh out loud as a kid, and I remember with fondness and with joy, is on Disney+. Disney Plus, which just got rid of Gina Carano from The Mandalorian for putting out a tweet where it mentions Nazis, even though there are many other people who have worked on The Mandalorian, including The Mandalorian himself. What's his name again, Ari? Pedro Pascal. Yeah, that's it. That's producer Ari right there, uh, who has brought up uh, uh, conversations about Nazis and Republicans. But all of a sudden, you say, hey, if you actually start hating your neighbor like they did in Nazi Germany, this doesn't end well. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Right? I don't like any Nazi comparison, but she was making a point. And I can say to her, don't make the comparison. But her argument was, we're not, uh, what, what we've got here is if you hate your neighbor, it's going to be a problem. That's what she's saying. She gets fired for it. Other people don't get fired for it. Well, Disney Plus owns the Muppets. And the Muppet Show is on Disney Plus, and it now has a disclaimer. A warning of offensive content. Most people are screaming and yelling, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. I only hope it's offensive. The Muppet Show is hilarious and the Muppet Show is made for adults and the Muppet Show absolutely had uh, the double entendres and the non sequiturs and all of the things and they absolutely rode the line and it was awesome. And you know what? It should be forced watching. It should be forced watching because maybe people will get a sense of humor. But when you see one of these disclaimers on it, it doesn't keep people away. It attracts them to it. Don't don't trust me. Don't believe me. Ask Public Enemy. Ask Public Ask Ask Easy e Ask NWA. Ask these people what the lyrics, you know, the, one of those parental advisory stickers meant for sales. All these people who want to put labels on things, this is offensive content. Yeah, they're all tipper gore. All these woke folk are simply following the mantra of this really stuck-up Stepford Wives white lady. Have a nice day. Go enjoy that. What was that, the, the Parental Music Resource Council, the PMRC? Oh, we, can't, we can't have these lyrics. They wanted to put, they wanted to put a disclaimer. I think Weird Al Yankovic got a disclaimer. I mean they threw it on anything. Oh, this this could be bad for children. Then children want to watch it. Children want to hear it. If the Muppets are are, are, are too rough, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to I don't know how to help you there. I'm not sure how to how to make your life complete. Meanwhile, speaking of uh, Disney, uh, Gina Carano is saying out loud she's going to go down swinging. She's going to call people out. She's going to speak very clearly about what Disney has done. The level of fear people have about losing their jobs. Now, this ties into a really fascinating piece over from Barry Weiss barry b-a-r-i weiss w-e-i-s-s she was with the new york times until she quit and said you people are nuts you're for cock to crazy you are bigots you you live in this world where you have some kind of secret knowledge only you know how to be decent and your job is to share it with the rest of us but in piecemeal and then lay judgment over them and no that's crazy she doesn't she doesn't agree with me politically i i, I don't think I, I don't think she's on the political right uh, but what does that matter The agreement of our politics is different than whether or not we both think we have the right to speak without being attacked, thrown off the air, thrown off uh, platforms, all these things. And she shares the story of a woman who works at Smith College who resigned over racism. She's white, it's the racism towards her, the bigotry towards her you've got the college now pushing back and fighting back on this. And where was the bigotry most uh, seen? Their equity and inclusion training. Which a woman from Smith says created a hostile environment for white people. And they're like, it absolutely did not create a racially hostile environment. Yeah, it did, I'm gonna share it with you. And we're gonna go over it again and again. The things that people are subjected to in these trainings like Coca-Cola did. Learn to be less white. If that's not a hostile work environment, nothing is. Pushing back against woke is so very important. Putting your shoulder into it, leaning in, it doesn't matter what they call you. Only you can give these people power over you. And my advice is don't do it. By the way, we're traveling. Tomorrow, Thursday, we'll be broadcasting live from CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference in Orlando, Florida, brought to you by RelayIndiana.com. Can't wait! Cannot wait.